My name's Dan, I'm uh, part of the leadership team here at the church. Uh, it's wonderful to uh, have you with us. Uh, it's great to um, be speaking to you today from the start of our series looking at the, the book of James. Um, James is found towards the, the end of the Old Testament and it's um, written by James, surprisingly. I like it when the Bible makes it easy for me. Uh, if you know a bit of the Bible, you'll know that there are 12 disciples and one of them is called James, but it's not that one and it's highly likely that it's actually written by James, uh, the brother of Jesus. Uh, Jesus was the firstborn, uh, but then the Bible speaks of his brothers and sisters. Uh, scholars seem to think that Jesus had uh, four brothers and at least uh, two sisters. And we read in, in John 7, it speaks of them because it, it tells us this. It says, after this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish feast of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one wants to become a public figure, acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourselves to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. James and the other brothers didn't believe who Jesus said he was. They didn't believe he was the, the son of God. And I can understand this. Um, because they'd seen him grow up. They'd seen him. He was their big brother. They knew him. Um, I have a, a position of leadership here at the church. And for many people, you know me as, as Dan, the church leader. But when I'm with my family, I'm Dan the son. Or Daniel, if I've been especially naughty. <laughs> I'm the brother. Uh, any shed of authority or respect that I may have in this building goes out of the window when I'm with my brother and sister. Because they know me. They remember what I was like when I was a child. They remember the silly things I did. They still have photographic evidence. <laughs> For Jesus' brothers and sisters, it wasn't quite like that. Because Jesus has lived a sinless life. I am certain that they felt he was remarkable. My brother and sister certainly do not. What he taught was exceptional. But it must have been really hard for them to get past the fact that they knew him. How could one born of their mother, Mary, be the son of God? But over time, something changes because in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, we read from verses 3 to 7, it says, For what I received I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to Scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas and then the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as, one, as to one abnormally born. At some point, something changes. Because when Jesus appears after the resurrection, he appears to a number of believers, and James is included in this list. We don't know about all his siblings, but James believes in Jesus and becomes a follower. In Acts, we read about him becoming the father of the church in Jerusalem. This alone is an incredible bit of evidence of who Jesus is. 
Even someone who had seen him grow up, who didn't believe in him, when he saw the evidence and he saw Jesus' life and his teaching, he submitted his life to following and serving Jesus. He watches his brother go to the cross. He, and then he, he sees him giving up his life. And then James willingly gives up his life to serve his saviour, following Jesus. And eventually that led to James being murdered for his faith. Here's the thing. Jesus, James knew of Jesus. But what he needed was to see who Jesus really was. You know, you can know about Jesus. Even if today you are not interested in faith, Jesus is the most, one of the most influential men to ever walk this earth. No matter what your position on faith is, you should know a little about him. But knowing about him isn't enough. We need to see him and know him personally, not just know about him. We can't just know information. We need encounter. A seeing that saves. Because when we see Jesus as our Lord and Savior, it changes everything. If you are new amongst us, then we, as Christians, we haven't just added a bit of Jesus to our lives. I was living this way, but now I call myself a Christian and I go to church. Uh, No, we have turned from our old ways. We have died to it. We have become what the Bible describes a new creation. The day we chose to follow Jesus, we started afresh with Jesus in the center. Everything else revolves around him. Everything is submitted to him. My time is no longer my own. Instead, I look to use my time in a way that honors and serves Jesus. My relationships are not self-serving, but I actively look for ways to show the love of Jesus to everyone around me, including my enemies. My finance is not my own. The resource I have I no longer own, but it is a gift from God to be used for his glory. The problem is, although we have become new creations, often our lives don't reflect it. In fact, a lot of the time we might look like the old us. When we get angry and we focus on revenge or harbor unforgiveness, when we drink too much or eat to excess and we demonstrate greed and reliance on things that don't bring life, when we see money as something to make our lives easier and happier and we become selfish and self-centered. I know that Jesus wants me to live a new life, but I, I constantly do things that remind me of my old life. I know centering my life around Jesus is what I should be doing. Uh, I know that living in that place is the way to fullness, but I either find it too difficult or I actually quite enjoy living the way I used to. This isn't something new. If you feel that way as a, as a follower of Jesus, that isn't new. Paul in chapter 7 of Romans, he, he speaks, he says, I do not understand what I do. But what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. He's got this Jekyll and Hyde kind of thing going on where we know what is best for us, but we struggle to do it. And this is where the book of James that we find in the New Testament comes in. It's very different from uh, the other letters we find written in the New Testament. James is not writing to a particular group of people, but he writes, as, as Haley read to us earlier, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. 
God's people, the Israelites, were, were separated into t- uh, 12 tribes. And in the Old Testament, we read about them being scattered by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. But there was a promise that one day they would be regathered as a people. And so as James is writing to the 12 tribes, he, he has all believers in mind. He is reminding those who are reading his letter of their spiritual heritage as the people of God. And he, in this letter, what also makes it different is he, he isn't writing to a, a, into a particular situation. You know, we, we find that with Paul's letters, where he is very direct and he's dealing with issues that are, that are going on. But instead, James writes about a number of different topics. In some ways, he, he jumps around a lot, as we're going to find out over the next few weeks. Uh, one minute, he's, he's talking about temptation, and then he's talking about rich and poor, and then patience and suffering, and so on. And, and it all feels a little bit all over the place. Um, if you know your Bible, then it, it looks a lot like the book of Proverbs, um, where it's wisdom literature to guide you in life. It doesn't have a lot of doctrine. It only actually mentions Jesus twice. And yet it seems like James is drawing most of his teachings from the Sermon on the Mount. You will know if you've been with us for a while, we covered the Sermon on the Mount last year. And these were just a sermon that Jesus delivered, incredible teaching, the most rich teaching that we have. And and James seems to echo some of these words. For example, you you can pick them up and you can look at them together this afternoon if you want. But just here's a few examples. Matthew 4, 48. Jesus says, Sermon on the Mount, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. James 1 verse 4, and let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Or in Matthew 7, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find. James, in, uh, James says in James 1 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. Or my final example today, James, uh, Jesus says in Matthew 5, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. James 2 says judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. There's lots more of these, but hopefully you can see where James is drawing his teachings from. How Jesus has completely changed him. And how Jesus' ways and his teachings penetrate every part of this letter. And you will find that this letter packs a punch. Some people love James. Um, Often they're the people who like a challenge. You know, those people who want to do a triathlon before breakfast. You know, those kind of strange people who, 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 if you, they won't do anything unless there's a real challenge behind it. Um, When I shared that I was doing this letter, Ellen, who was leading the welcome team, she was like, I love James. And I'm like, that doesn't surprise me. You're one of those crazy people who loves to go and do a triathlon or swim in open water. And I'm like, you're crazy, you people. But some people just like that. And if you're that kind of person, you like a challenge, you like to be told straight, James is a great book. Ellen's just poked her head around the corner like, what are you saying about me? (laughs) But for others, James is a little direct. Um, We like to be a little more relational than that. Um, We read his words and it makes us cringe a little bit. Could you not just water it down a little bit, be a little bit softer? I don't think James is trying to win friends when he writes this letter, but he focuses on faith in action. This is plain doctrine. 
What we're going to hear over the next few weeks is not difficult to understand. James is focusing on the application of our faith. He is saying, you call yourself a follower of Jesus, do what he says. Step into your new identity. James doesn't want to see us living our old ways, but instead he wants us to step into our new identity as new creations through obedience to Jesus. Let's turn to the start of the letter again. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. When we first entered lockdown, it was a really surreal time. I don't know if you can remember, it seems like so long ago. But March 2020, um, you turn on the news and you hear that this virus is taking lives and the seriousness of the situation. And yet, COVID at that point had not entered our local area. Um, the weather, if you remember, was incredible. Um, I had loads of free time with my family. Uh, I got to read a load of books. I got to run a lot. Um, it was an introvert's dream. And the best thing about it was it was all going to be over in three months. Yeah. And yet, here we are two years down the line, and so many ups and downs, days when I felt equipped and ready for the challenge, and other days where I couldn't even bear to read my emails. And over the last couple of years, I have got very good at feeling sorry for myself. Um, and I came to the realization that I had become hopeless at times because I felt helpless. That life was on hold until the government told me otherwise. That uh, waiting for things to improve. Life will get better once we can get back to church. Life will be better once we can go out more. Life will be better once we get rid of the, the alpha and the beta and the delta and the Omicron variants. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, as it says in Proverbs 13. What we have been through has been a global trauma. It has been felt differently by different people, but a trauma for each of us. And each of us will have to deal with that. If for me at times you have let hopelessness turn to helplessness, then the events of the last two years will leave deep scars that you will carry for years to come. But there is another option. When we recognize that God is working even in the midst of a pandemic, then we can have hope. I don't know what is going on, but I know who my God is, and I know he has plans for me that are good. That mindset stops us feeling like victims. It stops us feeling helpless when, our, when we view our circumstances. Instead of hopeless moments, we view them as a chance for growth. And this is what James is speaking about. He starts with, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I don't know about you, but I don't like the sound of trials. Uh, this word is the same uh, in Greek as test or temptation. It might say in your Bibles, test or temptation. It's the same word. But whatever your Bible says, I don't want it. We, what I don't want is I, I, I don't want a difficult life. I want a life of ease. 
I want a life of opportunity and I want a life of happiness. Anyone else? (laughs) And yet James makes it clear that it's not if we face trials, but when we face trials. We will face difficulties. And James says that faith in Jesus means we don't need to feel hopeless and helpless, but we actually can consider these trials as pure joy. See what I mean about James being a love it or hate him kind of guy? We are invited, even in a season of difficulty, to view it as pure joy. Why? We find the next verse, it says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. What would it look like for us to come out of this pandemic free from those scars, a new sense of spiritual maturity and closer to God? What would it look like for us to experience joy at this time? James makes it clear we're going to face many trials in life. Jesus tells us in John 16, in this world you will have trouble. We are living as foreigners. We are living as exiles in this world. Peace is the exception. We don't pray for persecution. We enjoy the freedom we have in this country to express and share our faith. We don't pray for hard times. We enjoy the blessings that God gives us. But we understand that we are living in a broken world. We are not living with the aim of a satisfied life now. Our hope is in eternity. We know what is coming. And so when we pray, we can pray, Jesus, would you return soon and make all things new? When we are living in times of peace and abundance, we enjoy it as grateful recipients. But accepting that life is hard is a step to maturity and joy. You see, if your faith is rocked every time you hit a difficulty, you will never experience true joy. If you expect God is going to give you an easy life, then you're going to end up bitter and angry. But if you understand the brokenness of the world... You pray with expectation that God will break in, but you are not shaken by the trials you are going through because you have your feet firmly on the rock that is Jesus. And you know no matter what you are going through now, a better day is coming. And tough times come. And James tells us that we can be joyful because the tests that we go through, the trials, the temptations, will create in us a perseverance which will lead to maturity. When you come to faith, you deconstruct your life. You now build on Jesus as the foundation. He becomes the center, and therefore trials of life are a test of faith. Because when you are unwell, and you know Jesus heals, you've got to deal with that. When you, you, go, you know that God can heal you, and yet for some reason he's not. When you are in financial need, and you say, but I know you've got enough, God. You're a God of abundance, and yet I am, in, I am lacking. You have to work it through in these moments. What is God doing through this? Questions have been asked of our faith during the pandemic. These trials have led to some people walking away from faith, not because of the, the faith that they believed in has changed, but because their posture of their hearts has changed. The circumstances have caused them to doubt God and his goodness. It has led them to disappointment and and anger. We so easily can become the victims of our emotions. 
I think of the people that I look up to as sources of inspiration when it comes to faith. Some people in this room here, they're not the people who've had the easiest lives. They are the people who have seen the hard winds of life blown against them again and again. And yet it has caused them not to give up, but to put their roots even deeper into God. And after each storm, they are stronger. This is the maturity that James is speaking of. We don't have to celebrate when things are tough. We don't have to pretend we are okay when we are not. The Bible is full of people grappling with doubt and yet finding God is faithful. Right now, we each are going through different trials, different tests, different temptations. The question to be asked is not why are these things happening, but what is God doing through these trials? We don't blame God. If we go back to James 1 verse 13, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when fully grown, gives birth to death. In these moments of testing, we need to get close to each other. We need to be honest about the areas we are struggling. We need to be honest with God and with a few trusted others. Seek out those relationships. Get into life groups. Find people you can share the temptations you are battling with. Let us walk through these trials together. And as we do that, let's remind each other of the truth. Let's remind each other of the beauty of the gospel. The best people to have around me are not those people who stroke my hair and say, now, now. They're the people who say, no, look what God is doing. And even when they can't see what God's doing, just they point me to eternity and say, wait and look at what is coming. We don't need to be a church who is good at telling people off. We need to be a community that comes alongside and cares for one another, points people back to Jesus. I don't know what the next few years have in store for us as a community. I don't know the trials we will go through together. But I do know we can worship God in the midst of tears. We can find joy in difficulties because we know God is working. And we can emerge from every trial with stories of growth and not harm. Becoming mature, not lacking in anything, as James says. When we go through trials so quickly to feel discontent or so quickly to feel like, God, why are you doing this? If instead we changed our lens and instead said, what are you doing, God, and how can I engage with you? Then we will become people who grow. In every moment we go through, we get that chance. Am I going to let this rock me? Or am I going to say, even these difficulties, whatever is going on right now, when I come out of it, I look more like Jesus. Would the band join me? Would you stand And I know what some of you are thinking right now. I know what some of you are thinking. <laughs> because because you, can, you say, yeah, but Dan, you don't know. You don't know what I've been through. 
I don't. You might look at me and say, yeah, but compared to my life, your life is easy. You might say, yeah, but you, you've, you've not been through that. You've not seen that. You've not had to deal with that. I, I know. James doesn't say, come and get over it. That's not what James says. James doesn't say, grin and bear it. That's not what I come to say today. Now, James instead invites us to persevere, knowing who God is. And so whatever your situations you're going through now, this is a moment to put your trust in Jesus afresh, to say you're going to submit to him no matter what is going on. You're going to trust him in the process, knowing that that perseverance leads to maturity. Wouldn't it be great if every trial we came out of, we, we looked more like Jesus? Wouldn't it be great if when I, next year, we, as a community, we come together and say, oh, haven't we grown? Carrying those moments, carrying those difficulties, those memories, those scars, but saying, we have grown because we have trusted in God and allowed perseverance to become complete and completing us a maturity. Whatever you're going through now, God is faithful. Whatever difficulties you have, no matter what you look to in this next year with trepidation, God is faithful. God is working out his plan. The plan does not result always in happiness. I would be selling you a false dream if I said that. But our joy is not relying on our happiness today. Even in difficulties, God is wanting to draw near to us. He is wanting to move in our lives. He is wanting us to experience his presence and the deep joy that only he can bring. He says, take, he wants to take our burdens. He says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. You know, he doesn't lift those difficulties off us, but he does carry them with us. And so as we go back into worship, I would love you just to bring to God those trials that you're going through right now. There may be external stuff that is coming against you, trials and tests of life that you feel, you might feel battered by the winds of life. There may be temptations from within. You are struggling with that same temptation over and over again. Another year, another battle. As we worship, let us bring these things before God. Let us choose to submit this year to him saying, we're going to persevere. Let us make a resolve that we are going to persevere this year. We're not going to be shaken. We're going to, every trial we go through is going to be a, us putting our roots deeper into God, stepping into maturity.